This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. I want to repeat Mr Faraway's welcome uh, to the boys uh, of Cranbrook. It's great to have you here. It's really uh, very encouraging and thank you for your contribution to our singing. That was outstanding. So very encouraging to us all. Thank you so much for coming. And thank you also for those boys who played music beforehand and the staff who uh, prepared them. That was a, a great blessing to us. Let's pray as we come to look into God's word here. Our Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us the grace that we would hear your word, but also not just hear it, receive it into our hearts, and that it would be shown forth by the fruit of our lives for the glory of your name. Amen. Now, being a Christian isn't about keeping rules. It's about bearing fruit, the fruit that comes from forgiveness and the power of God's Spirit living in us. Now, sadly, regrettably, a lot of Christians, I have to say, give the impression that we are a group of people who are obsessed with keeping rules, and that if you haven't kept the rules, then you're not welcome in church. Now, at one level, rules are a completely necessary part of human life, rules and laws, aren't they? Now, what would happen, just ask you to conduct an internal thought experiment for a while, for just a minute, what would happen if you woke up one morning and there were no rules or laws at all? Just imagine for a second. At first, the idea sounds really appealing, doesn't it? It sounds like freedom. The freedom to do what you wanted all along, but that the rules were stopping you from doing it. But what do people do when there are no rules? You can easily predict in human life that they will use their freedom to invent ways to do evil to one another. Now, we've seen this in the last 20 years with the growth of the online world. It's brought us so much good. It's connected us with people and communities we never thought that we could do. Uh, we can search for anything we like. Information is at our fingertips. But how do you restrain the terrible things that people will do and say if given a space without rules? We see this in our online world. Regulators and legislators have really struggled to keep up with it. This is one of the dilemmas of the freedom of speech debate in our society that burbles on. To restrict speech is terrible. But can we really cope with the vile things some people will say if we give them the chance? And this is because, by nature, the human heart is dark. It won't default to kindness or compassion, but actually the opposite. It needs the prism of the rules to restrain it. So we live in a rule-bound world, so that we're protected from one another. Now, I studied Lord of the Flies at school. Is that still taught at Cramp? It's a perennial, along with To Kill a Mockingbird. Who studied those, those novels at school? See, they, There is a head of English here, uh, not from Cranbrook. It'd be interesting uh, to upgrade your lists, please. But The Lord of the Flies is an amazing book. It's a story of some English schoolboys. They're actually choir boys. They look as innocent as you come. They're products of the finest education in the British Empire, and they're stranded on an island an island where they have to get along. They have to form a kind of society. And you know what happens. Spoiler alert for those who are in Year 7 haven't got there yet. You know what happens. It ends in a bloodbath, doesn't it? But the Bible wants us to imagine a world where you and I 
want to do what is right. This is a state of affairs where we do what is right, not because the rules say so, but because we've been inwardly transformed. We've been changed. We've become something different, and that difference then just oozes out of us. Now, we're beginning a series today here at St. Mark's on the Apostle Paul's famous image of the fruit of the Spirit from that chapter that Mr. Sampson read in Galatians 5. In that passage, Paul compares what he calls the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And he's saying basically, without a changed heart, you and I will eat each other alive. We will do just whatever we feel like and the result will be carnage. But if we have the Spirit of God living in us, then there's a change This is what he says in verses 22 and 3. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. You can't outlaw kindness or love or generosity. You can't imagine the government announcing a crackdown on kindness. The headmaster of Cranbrook banning peace or joy. Or or the government funding extra police to stamp out goodness. And the opposite is true too. It's very difficult to frame a law, isn't it, that says you must be kind. It wouldn't truly be kindness. You must be gentle. It really wouldn't be gentle because it wouldn't come from within. But if we all had these fruit, if we were all like this picture, would there, be need, would there be a need for any rules or laws at all? For instance, would you need to have tax if we were all generous? Would you need to have the lockout laws up in King's Cross if we were all gentle and self-controlled? Would you need to have the speed limit if we were all patient? And why does Paul choose the word fruit here? It's a really careful choice that he's made, the word fruit. Well, for three reasons. He's chosen the word fruit because fruit are a sign of being abundant and productive. He's chosen fruit because fruit are nourishing and relational. And he's chosen fruit because it's the nature of a plant. It's the nature of the plant that produces the fruit, not the fruit that defines what the plant is, not the other way around. So first of all, fruit are a sign, an image of being abundant and productive. When I was living in England, I was amazed how many trees in my street turned out to be apple trees in autumn. Um, I had no idea how many apple trees were in my street until the autumn came and all of a sudden they started producing this extraordinary fruit. And, and the fruit was not that suspiciously perfect fruit we get in the supermarkets. You know, it was, you know, they had, there were knobbly apples and sort of big apples that were much, you know, not regulation size and they would hang heavy in the branches. And people would pick them or they'd pick them up off the ground when they fell up, fell off. And then they'd put them in a box for people outside their houses so that you could just grab one as you walked by. The trees had become generously productive. Wouldn't it be great to be productive in that way as a human being? To be as abundant and productive as a tree? But here's the thing. I, I think we already have an idea in our society of what it is to be good and useful and productive, but we probably wouldn't describe productivity in the same way as the Bible does. 
We think of productivity in terms pretty much, to be perfectly honest, in terms of cash. How much cash does that person bring in? What's the revenue that they raise? How much business do you stimulate? That's how we value people. That's how we decide whether someone is productive. On the the flip side, of course, we then despise those who we think aren't as productive in those terms, the the old, the poor, the less educated. We talk about them as being a burden to society. But what does productivity look like in the Bible's terms? Well, that's the second point. Fruit is abundant and productive, but it's also nourishing and relational. And Paul uses the word fruit here because it's an organic image. It's, a, it's an image that we instantly understand because it's to do with food, isn't it? It's the food that sustains and grows us as we eat it. And the other thing about food is, of course, that it brings people together, just as the fruit, on the, the fruit of the apple trees did in my time in the UK. Food is at the centre of communities. It's about relationships. And the fruit of the Spirit are likewise about community. Well, you heard what the works of the flesh are like. They're the the opposite of that, aren't they? They're about tearing down community. They're about breaking relationships between people, violence, factions, hatred, using other people's bodies for sexual satisfaction, deception. These fruit, though, the fruit of the Spirit, when we have them, they make communities grow. They make communities what they are. But thirdly, where do these fruit come from? Well, that's the third reason he uses the word fruit. Now, we have a kumquat tree in our garden, um, which is a sort of uh, citrus fruit, and it's taken a couple of years to get there, but it's started to produce kumquats. Um, Now, I'm not quite sure what you use kumquats for. I got a couple of recipes after the 8 o'clock service from people, but it's mostly for jam. Someone said you can put them on ice cream, but they're very, very bitter and tart, I believe. So there you go. So no doubt you'll have other recipes. But it was the nature of the tree. It was in the nature of the tree that it would produce this particular fruit. It was in its DNA that it would produce kumquats. It was never going to produce bananas, and it certainly wasn't ever going to produce tennis shoes. It just... it. It, even when it wasn't producing it, it had it in its, in its very structure that it was going to be a kumquat tree. Now, if we receive Jesus as our Lord, if we've believed in him that our sins are forgiven, then God gives us his own spirit. He puts his spirit inside us. And we then have a particular nature, a new nature. We've got a spiritual nature. And that spirit gives us God's own character. It stamps us with God's own character. That's something distinctive about the fruit of the Spirit that Paul names here. They're all God's virtues before they're ours. And we heard that from 1 John, that second reading we had. The love of God, the love that we show is the love that comes from God. How do we know about love? It comes from God. And that's true too of God's kindness and his generosity and his faithfulness and his patience. All of the fruit are God's characteristics before they are ours, and they're put in us by his spirit. And when his spirit lives in us and changes us from the inside, then the fruit should emerge in our lives. But there's an important extra step, isn't there? Because this fruit needs cultivation. This fruit needs cultivation. They don't automatically or instantly appear in Christians. Unfortunately, if our lives are trees... We need to encourage good 
growth and prune away bad growth. We need to use pesticides. We once had a, I don't want to give the impression that we just grow fruit trees, that that's all we do in our family. We did have once a peach tree. It was laden heavily with these wonderful peaches and I saw them growing over summer and I was just waiting to kind of collect these ripe peaches and uh, put them in a basket and do something amazing, just maybe just eat them one by one. And when I went to pick the first one and I took a bite into it, it was full of worms. And then I took the second one and it was full of worms. And the third one, there were 45 or more peaches on that tree, each one full of worms. But I was so stingy that I went and cut the worms out and, you know, won't go any further. Um, it might have been a little extra protein in uh, that jam that I made. The fruit needs cultivation and also protection, protection from danger, protection from being eaten. Our lives don't automatically produce the fruit of the Spirit. We need to clear away whatever is stopping us from producing this fruit. And let the Spirit do its work in us. Our true nature is that we've been transformed by the power of God in us. We need to let that true nature now be seen as we become more like Christ, more like Jesus, more fruitful in other words. Now each week we'll be looking at one of these fruit of the Spirit in turn. But I want to start just briefly by talking about the first fruit on the list. And it's very deliberately put first on the list, and that's the fruit of Love. Why is love first? I think love is first in this list because all the other fruit are really species of that same fruit. They're really just types of love. As we learned a few weeks ago on Trinity Sunday, love is central to the very being of God. The love of God is at the heart of the universe itself. If there's one important thing we need to say about the God that Christians worship is that he is love. That when he acts, he acts from love. He puts the stars into space from love. He puts the heart in your body out of love. Now we've become so used to thinking of love as obviously good that we've forgotten how distinctive the New Testament's teaching is in its time. The word that's translated love here is the Greek word agape. Agape. Spelt agape, A-G-A-P-E. Agape. No one before Paul that we know of had used this word as a noun. People talked about loving, agapeing, but they'd never said, no, there's this thing called love. And at the time, love was certainly not considered a quality that God or the gods would have. If you think of the Greco-Roman gods, well, they certainly expressed erotic love sometimes, that kind of lust, but they, it was, it was really not godlike in the Greco-Roman mind to think of gods showing love. Because love was, it was too, it was too involved. They wanted their gods to be remote and distant and powerful. Certainly, love was not something that the gods had and certainly not a virtue that human beings would want to copy. That's the distinct contribution of the New Testament. Now, the word agape is different from romantic or erotic love or the love of friends or the compassion we might show from someone who is suffering. And those loves have their place. But this love, the highest form of love, is the love that God shows us and shares with us. And what kind of love is it? We discover what kind of love it is in the teaching of Jesus. What was Jesus' most challenging teaching? 
It wasn't just love your neighbour as yourself, but love your enemies. Love your enemies. Think of the most difficult person in your life, and I'm sure a face just popped into your head, or more than one, and seek to love them. Why? Because this is exactly the form of God that love, the form of love that God shows for us. This is God's love. He loves us while we were yet his enemies. While we were yet rebels against him, Jesus died for us from God's love. God does not simply just love his fan club, but all of his creatures. Jesus lays down his life not just for his friends, but also for those who are yet his friends. This is the love that bears all things, the love that is patient, that is long-suffering, that is everlasting love. In the Old Testament, they use the word steadfast love, a love that endures over time and a love that costs the person who is doing the loving. That is the love of God. That is the love that God shows us. This is the love that you and I need to cultivate in ourselves so that it appears in us like fruit, this agape, this love. The early Christians really made a mark by showing love like this. In 197 AD, Tertullian, who was an early Christian writer, philosopher, lawyer, he wrote to the local authorities to ask for fairer treatment from them because the Christians were good citizens. They prayed for the emperor. They did their duty as Roman citizens, and yet they were being persecuted. And he was able to boast to them in these words. He says, what marks us in the eyes of our enemies is our love. Only look, they say, look how they love one another. Wouldn't it be amazing to be able to say that even today, even as we may appeal for our freedom to believe. Wouldn't it be amazing if those who were the critics of the church would say, the critics of Christians would say, they love not only each other, they love even those who oppose them. So the first fruit of the Spirit to cultivate is love. You've been shown the love of God, now show the fruit of that love in your life. So how do I go about cultivating it, you might say? Well, what do I do to kind of get busy making that love of God appear in my life? Well, it's a lifetime project. It's not something you do on one day. It's something you continue to do day after day. But firstly, you need to know the love of God for you before we can see the love of God in you. You need to know the love of God for you before we can see the love of God in you. If you aren't changed by the love of God, then you won't be able to show it. You won't know the safety and assurance that it, that it, that it brings. You won't be able to be courageous in love for others until you know the security of God's love for you in Christ. Because if you think about it, love to love is to take a risk. It's to make yourself vulnerable. It takes some guts to be loving, especially in the way we've heard about today. It takes real courage. And you'll get that courage from knowing that God loves you. You'll get that courage from knowing that God has your back in Christ. 
So that's the first thing. Know about the love of God for you so we can see the love of God in you. Secondly, cultivate love by switching away from rule-based thinking. Your call is not to obey the rules. Rules are there because human hearts are hard. If you know the Spirit of God living in you, then your object is not to tick off the box of obeying the rules, but to love but to show all the fruit of the Spirit, and especially love. At best, rules are like training wheels, aren't they? They work while you can't ride. But once you know how to ride your bike, you don't put your training wheels back on them. We wouldn't need the rules if we knew how to love each other, if we were really insistent upon loving each other. That's why Jesus said, the law is really summed up, and Paul repeated it in Galatians chapter 5, we heard just a little bit earlier, that the law is summed up in the two commands to love. Love God and love your neighbour as yourself. That's the essence of what human life is for, what we're called to do as human beings. So we have to quit asking, have I kept the rules? Have I done enough? Have I ticked all the boxes? God is not a government bureaucrat. We need to ask instead, am I being loving? Have I loved people with the love of God since I know the love of God? Do I love even my enemy? Thirdly, cultivate love by thinking about what others need and doing something about it. This love is not impractical. This love is not just an internal thing. If you're going to bear this fruit, then we need to see it. It's driving you to do stuff, do things for people. And that takes a little bit of imagination. To love people well takes imagination because you need to imagine what it would be like to be them. How you would like to be treated if you were them in their situation and then treat others like that. Imagine yourself being a refugee to this country. Imagine yourself with a tenth of the income you now have. Imagine yourself with no work. Imagine yourself grieving. Imagine yourself that social outcast. How would you like to be treated if you were in those situations? Do you think other people would like your attention? Would other people like your forgiveness? Would other people like your respect? Would other people like your thanks? Would other people like your time? Would other people like your help in doing something they can't do? I remember being treated like this once by a person I didn't like very much. It's one of the most humbling things that ever happened to me. In my arrogance, I did not like this person. Just didn't like them. You know how that is? It wasn't that they'd done anything particularly nasty. I just didn't like them. We didn't get on very well. Had a few disagreements. But one day, he noticed that our back gate was not working properly, that it was unsafe, and we had a toddler at the time, and it was going to be unsafe for kids. It was very easy for our three-year-old just to unlock the gate and, and run, run onto the street. And without asking, this guy, Al's his name, he turned up with some tools and without being asked, 
replace the bolt on the gate. You know, I still wouldn't call that guy a close friend. But this was truly a fruit of the Spirit of God in him. So this morning, over to you. Who is God calling you to show his agape love to this very week? Where will the fruit of God's Spirit become abundant in your life? Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.